0: Birds.
1: Made possible by the generous support of the Bird Watchers General Store or Leanscape Cod. Birdwatchersgeneralstore.com. By L.L. Bean, inspiring you to get outdoors. LLbean.com. By Celestron, offering binoculars and scopes for birders of all levels. Celestron.com. And by Birds and Beans Shade Grown Bird Friendly Coffee. Birdsandbeans.com.
2: Good morning. Welcome to our show, number 670. And happy Easter. Starting with a late-breaking report from the Talking Birds email bag. It's a note from our friend David Clapp, who's leading a bird group in Australia for Smithsonian tours. And he says this about a little side trip they took. So, Ray, there we were earlier today cruising alongside Sydney Harbour in a flashy coach, giving the Smithsonian travelers a tour of the city. When I heard your musical intro playing over the coach's speakers, I shushed everyone and told them all about Talking Birds and expressed my surprise that it was on an Australian radio station only to find that my phone was playing a podcast over Bluetooth. Oh, well. He says it was a very odd but pleasant moment on the tour. Thank you, David. And it wasn't even April Fool's Day there yet. Or maybe it was in Australia. Anyway, I'm sure David is now working to get our show carried on some Australian radio stations. Meanwhile, keep an eye out on our Facebook page for some of David's amazing bird photos from his various stops on his Australian tour. Well, if you have bird feeders in your backyard, almost anywhere in the U.S., you probably have seen this bird... It would be the downy woodpecker. And uh, maybe this one. That's the hairy woodpecker. They look very similar. Same coloring, virtually the same pattern. Close relatives, obviously. Or are they? We'll find out when we talk with Cornell Lab of Ornithology researcher Gavin Layton on this morning's show. Attention Talking Birds listeners in the great state of Maryland... Don't miss the Night on the Wild Side at the Patuxent Wildlife Refuge in Laurel, a cool and bird-filled event for adults with live owls and other critters, a chance to talk with wildlife scientists, great food and adult beverages, and lots more on Thursday, April 28th, 5 to 8 p.m. Check out our Facebook page after the show today for details or do a little online search for Patuxent Night on the Wild Side. Meanwhile, we're back to Australia again to ask the question, what's the link between found feathers and the health of wetlands? That's the question asked by researchers at the University of New South Wales, and it's the topic of our newest Talkin' Birds blog, edited by our own Debbie Bleacher and easily found at TalkinBirds.com. And that is the sound of our mystery bird. Here's a preview of our contest. Not happening right now, but coming along in just a little bit here on the show. So just to kind of get you ready for the mystery bird contest. Our mystery bird is a small songbird with a blue-gray head and wings, a yellow chest with a black and reddish band across it, white crescents above and below the eyes, a greenish back and two white wing bars. Our bird winters in Central America and the Caribbean and in its nesting territory, mostly in the eastern half of North America. It feeds high up in trees on spiders and insects of all sorts. That would be our mystery bird little preview there. We'll give the uh, signal to call in a bit later on in this morning's show. We now congratulate our latest Talking Birds Make Your Own Swag Contest winner, it's Bill Niranowski in West Greenwich, Rhode Island. There you go, Bill. Bill sent us a super sweet picture of himself and his gorgeous, smiling granddaughter, Macy, both proudly wearing Talkin' Birds patches on their shirts. We'll be sending Bill an awesome book from the Talking Birds Awesome Book Library. And he's eligible, as is everyone who sends us, a make-your-own-swag photo for the grand prize a Celestron Hummingbird Micro Spotting Scope. If you'd like a patch, just request one by email to com, and we'll send you one or several if you like, along with complete contest instructions. Deadline, April 15th. Meanwhile, great thanks to new Talkin' Birds Ambassadors, David McCroskey from Chicago, Illinois, a great friend of Talking Birds since the early days of our program. David says... Marakowski is the right pronunciation, but he reminds us that a more birding-appropriate pronunciation is Makroski. All right. Jessica H. from Cudahy, Wisconsin. Thank you. She says she loves our show and is uh, thanking us for doing what we do. And thank you so much, Jessica, for becoming a Talking Birds ambassador. And thanks to John Ebert from Columbia, South Carolina. He says... Love birds, love photographing birds, love feeding birds, love talking birds. Thank you, John, for becoming our first ambassador in the Palmetto State. Just click on the contact button at TalkingBirds.com and choose the Become an Ambassador option. If you'd like to join our ambassadors program, we hope you will. Still to come on our show today, the Cornell Lab's Dr. Gavin Layton, Mike O'Connor from the Bird Watchers General Store on Cape Cod, and up next perched high in a cattail spike in a nearby marsh. Today's featured feathered friend, presented by Birdwatching Magazine, for more than a quarter century, Birdwatching has been North America's premier magazine about wild birds and birding. Today's Talkin' Birds featured feathered friend is the red-winged oriole. Well, that's what some folks call it. Others call it the marsh blackbird the swamp blackbird or the red-winged starling, but its official common name is the red-winged blackbird. And most also call it a true harbinger of spring, for the northern parts of the U.S. and southern Canada at least, even though many individuals overwinter all the way up through New England and parts of the upper Midwest and upper far west. The male redwing is familiar to all with its jet black body and bright red shoulder patches, edged in yellow at the bottom. Females and juveniles look strikingly different. They're a heavily streaked dark and pale brown mix, often with a whitish eyebrow. The male's congaree call, often coming from high atop a swaying cattail, is unmistakable. The Red Wing's abundance has caused some farmers to use pesticides such as parathion in illegal attempts to control its populations. These efforts are illegal in the U.S. because no pesticide can be used on non-target organisms or for any use not explicitly listed on the pesticide's label. However, the USDA, as recently as 2009, reportedly poisoned this species intentionally and the USDA's Animal and Plant Inspection Service reported poisoning more than 950,000 red-winged blackbirds in Texas and Louisiana. This poisoning has been implicated as a potential reason for the decline of another blackbird species, the rusty blackbird, a once abundant bird that has declined by as much as 95% since the 1990s. An ongoing effort to reverse that decline began a few years ago, it's called the rusty blackbird migration blitz. Back to our red-winged blackbird. It's a resident or short-distance migrant throughout most of the US, wintering mostly in the southern states, as far as 800 miles from the breeding areas. Southern and some western populations don't migrate at all. The red-winged blackbird is a highly polygonous species, meaning that the males have many mates, sometimes as many as 15, and many more have more than one female nesting on their territories. But on the other hand, studies show that one-quarter to one-half of nestlings are sired by a bird other than the territorial male. There's a lot more going on out in those marshes than meets the eye. The red-winged blackbird, agelaeus Finisius, Today's talking Birds featured feathered friend. Thanks again for being with us on our show, number 670. As always, we invite you to visit our website and leave off the G. It's TalkinBirds.com. Follow us there and on Facebook and Twitter at Birds. Well, we know that downy woodpeckers and hairy woodpeckers look very similar to each other in color, in color pattern, and they're sometimes difficult to separate ID-wise. Obviously, they must be closely related or maybe not, to shed some light on that question and to tell us some other surprising things about the woodpeckers in our backyards. We welcome Dr. Gavin Layton, postdoctoral fellow at the Cornell Lab of Ornithology in Ithaca, New York. Good morning, Gavin. Good morning, Ray. How are you? Well, thank you. Uh, thanks so much for being with us. It's great to have you. And I think, uh, Gavin, I've maybe spilled the beans a bit here by raising the question <laughs> <laughs> about whether downies and Harrys are closely related but what's the what's the true answer
3: so the the two species are not closely related um there was some work using uh dna sequencing technology that's really um opened up the field of phylogenetics and birds and it turns out that um, downy woodpecker is more closely related to things like nettles woodpecker um And the ladderback woodpecker, whereas hairy woodpecker um, is more closely related to things like the white-headed woodpecker and Strickland's woodpecker. So they're not um, closely related at all.
2: So interesting. Well, the downy uh, is a little smaller than the than the hairy. What's that uh, mnemonic uh, or that way of remembering? Uh, Downy is dinky. Uh, Hairy is huge.
3: Yeah, so there are, there are multiple mnemonics. Um the one I've heard is Downey is Dinky, and yeah, Harry is huge.
2: Right. Well, so that begs the question, if uh, Downey's and Harry's are not close relatives, why do they look alike? And that's what you've been trying to figure out,
3: right? Yeah, so me and um, my co-authors, Alex Lees and Elliot Miller, um, got interested in this idea because there was... This idea that maybe downy woodpeckers evolved to look like hairy woodpeckers to trick hairy woodpeckers into thinking that they were also these dominant and strong hairy woodpeckers. And the idea there is that if a a small little downy can trick a hairy woodpecker into thinking it's um this big, strong, dominant bird, that the hairy hairy woodpecker might leave it alone so that it could uh, eat by uh eat and uh, mate and not get harassed or beat up. Um so that's We wanted to test, but there isn't really a lot of good behavioral data for this, and that's until we realized that um, the feeder feeder watchers are entering aggressive and um, other sorts of behaviors at feeders, so we could test to see if downy woodpeckers were getting beat up and chased away by hairy woodpeckers less than you would expect based on how abundant they are. And um, through some simulations, we were able to show that Not only are downy woodpeckers getting beat up by hairy woodpeckers, they're getting beat up more than you would expect Mm. um, based on how often they're seen seen as feeders. So it doesn't seem like um, downy woodpeckers are tricking hairy woodpeckers at all.
2: So much for the hairy woodpecker trickery hypothesis, right?
3: Right. So that that wasn't supported by the data. But what we're um, potentially very interested in is this other idea that downy woodpeckers may be tricking other other species that are in the same foraging flocks. Mm. So we took the interspecific data that also included things like chickadees and titmice and house sparrows, and what we found is that after controlling for body size and phylogenetic position, downy woodpeckers are um, more dominant than you would expect um, after controlling for those two variables. So they're winning contests more than you would expect, and we think that maybe it's because they're able to scare away these slightly smaller or about the same size birds uh, more often because... These other species see this black and white woodpecker coming towards them, and maybe think to themselves, "Oh, that's a hairy woodpecker. I gotta get out of here." Um, so that's that's a hypothesis that we're suggesting should be considered more strongly um, when people think about mimicry in birds.
2: So the innocent bystander trickery hypothesis?
3: <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, that there are these poor other species that are getting tricked to think getting tricked into thinking that. Another uh, more dominant species is coming towards them when it's really um, this, this dinky species that may, they may be able to tangle with if they, if they were able to successfully identify it. Mm,
2: the, dinky, the dinky downy coming, coming to get you. So where, mm-hmm. where, does, uh, where does this lead you, uh, lead you to uh, now, Gavin, now that you have this, this information?
3: Well... We have um lots of ideas, so one one thing we want to point out that we've we've heard a lot is that it may be the other way around. It may be that harries are mimicking downies for some reason, mm-hmm. um, so we're considering hypotheses about that for, for example, one hypothesis is that Harry's evolved to look like downies so that predators um, didn't think it was worth chasing and catching this big hairy woodpecker if it's just like this puny little meal. Um, hmm. so we're trying to get data on that. And then we're also strongly considering um, maybe catching downies and modifying their plumage with um, some harmless paint to see if, um, if you change how a downy looks, do other third-party species treat it differently uh, because it doesn't look like a hairy anymore. And that would be a good experimental test of, of our, our idea.
2: Hmm. And will you use Project Feeder Watch again for some of that, or will that be a little te- separate thing altogether?
3: So we're still, we still encourage um, everyone to submit data to Project Figure Watch because we're going to keep digging into that data set to see if what we found so far holds up. Um, But this is, we're also thinking about doing field work um, and maybe some aviary work to uh, really explore this idea that downy is tricking other species other than the hairy woodpecker.
2: You mentioned um, Elliot Miller, and uh, he was on the show with us uh, not long ago, I think talking about d- different kinds of dominance uh, or uh, at feeders and um, I-, I wonder, as you've been doing this research, have you found any other surprises related to birds and, and their their dominance so I think
3: there's um, there's quite uh, a bit of there's a few surprises. Um, Elliot would. Elliot has this big old list of things he wants to check out um, in terms of species that are more dominant than expected. Um, I think the fact that I think starlings are a little bit more um, dominant than expected. But uh, apologies to Elliot if that's incorrect. But I think it's it's interesting that this invasive species um, is more dominant than expected, and it might be pointing to this this role of behavior. Um, in terms of invasion, so I think there are quite a few surprises. Um, and from what I've seen, uh, they may be correlated. Um, the surprises may be correlated with species that tend to do well in human habitats, which maybe isn't surprising. Uh huh.
2: Gavin Layton is a postdoc fellow at the Cornell Lab of Ornithology. And talking birds listeners, you can find out more about his research on his website, Gavin M. Leighton.com, and that's L E I G H T O N, Gavin M. Leighton.com. Gavin, thanks for being with us, and we we'll look forward to hearing about what you discover in your ongoing research, especially about downy and hairy woodpeckers. Thanks for having me. Coming up here on our show, it's our Mystery Bird Contest in just one minute.
1: Talking birds, we're for the birds. And we want to say thanks to another talking birds ambassador who's helping to spread the word about birds and conservation.
0: My name is Steve and I'm calling from Stockholm, Wisconsin. My
1: name is William
3: and I'm calling from Stockholm, Wisconsin.
0: I first knew that Will would really like talking birds because of his love for birds. He loves nature, he loves the outdoors.
1: My favorite place to go birding is Whitefish Point. I found a new bird there every time we've gone.
0: We listen to Talkin' Birds as a family every Sunday morning.
1: Talkin' Birds listeners, we hope you'll become a Talkin' Birds ambassador. Just visit our website, TalkinBirds.com, click on the Contact button, and then choose the Become an Ambassador option. We'll send you some info cards to hand out to your friends and neighbors. That's the contact button at TalkinBirds.com. And thanks.
2: And a special hello to Steve and Will. We met them up at Lake Superior... <laughs> State uh, University up in Sault Ste. Marie, Michigan. We uh, we were doing a live broadcast out there a couple of years ago. and Wonderful to have them as Talking Birds Ambassadors. Our Mystery Bird Contest is sponsored by Audubon Park Wild Bird Food. Look for Audubon Park next time you're buying food for your backyard birds. By the way, if you're not hearing our Sunday morning show live and would like to, We do the show live from 9.30 to 10 Eastern Time, Sunday mornings, and you can access the program live online. An easy way to find out how to do it is to just go to talkingbirds.com. Here's the sound of our mystery bird. Our mystery bird is a small songbird with a blue-gray head and wings, a yellow chest, with a black and reddish band across it, white crescents above and below the eyes, a greenish back, and two white wing bars. Our bird winters in Central America and the Caribbean, and in its nesting territory, mostly in the eastern half of North America, it feeds high up in trees on spiders and insects of all sorts. That would be our mystery bird. Look at these prizes, starting with the Droll Yankees' bottoms-up finch feeder, Not very hospitable for house sparrows, for example, which have difficulty hanging by their feet. But great for other birds that you'd love to see at your feeder. That's our first prize. Bonus prizes. Audubon Park Songbird Selections Multi-Bird with Fruits and Nuts. A big five-pound package. And a download to your iOS device or online access to the LarkWire app. The app that makes learning bird sounds a game. So those are our prizes. That's the sound, and those are some clues about our mystery bird. And here's the important part. It's the phone number, and we urge you to call as soon as you can. 781-837-4900 is the number. 781-837-4900. Meanwhile, we'll hop on down the bunny trail to uh, Mike O'Connor at the Birdwatcher's General Store. Let's ask Mike live in just one minute. It's spring bird feeding time. Are your feeders ready? Spring migrants are arriving and your backyard birds are hungry for nutritious food for breeding season. And Audubon Park, celebrating 60 years as a family-owned business providing food safety certified products, has the perfect food for the birds in your backyard. Find great spring feeding reminders online at audubonpark.com. That's audubonpark.com. And be sure to look for Audubon Park Wild Bird Food next time you're buying food for your backyard bird.
3: Now a word from our friends at Birdwatching Magazine. For over a quarter century, Birdwatching Magazine has been North America's premier magazine about wild birds and birding. Whether you enjoy birds in your own backyard or far afield, you'll find information in every issue to help you find, attract, identify, and understand birds. Regular contributors include Ken Kaufman, David Sibley, Pete Dunn, Laura Erickson, and other birding experts. Learn more at birdwatchingdaily.com.
2: Well, it's the 1st of April, that means our man Mike O'Connor is playing some rotten tricks on his customers, no doubt. Let's find out. He's down there at the Birdwatcher's General Store, Route 6A, Orleans, Cape Cod. Mike, what cruel things are you doing uh, today? (laughs) Cruel things?
0: (laughs) Cruel things are hilarious pranks. Oh, this hilarious pranks,
2: yeah. Yeah, (laughs) It must be a little of a conflict. It's Easter Sunday and also April Fool's Day.
0: I I know, know. it's like the... uh, double-header double going on today, right? <laughs> so we get to celebrate two or both, or one or the other. Yeah. It's, kind of, it's kind of a bonus holiday.
2: Well, you're famous well, for having reported that the Cape Cod Canal had been drained of water, so they could do some repairs there. And uh, didn't that get you in trouble with a visitor <laughs> from New Jersey or who drove all the way up here to see it? Or?
0: Seems like everything I do gets me in trouble. <laughs> but I do, like, I, I do a, a, a weekly newspaper column um, you know, on bird questions and things. And then uh, every April Fool's I'll write kind of a, a spoofy one, but I dress it up like a real thing. And, and like you referred to, one year I talked about all the birds that were lining up coming to the canal because they were going to drain the canal to do some work. And it's going to be a spectacle to see all the birds, but other, they're going to let you walk around and pick up, you know. Besides see the birds, you could walk up and pick what, up whatever things have fallen in the canal over the last hundred years or so. <laughs> And so I got all kinds, you know, and it's going to be a great thing for birders, But, you know, the um, you know the Steamship Authority contact me. Triple A wanted to know about traffic problems, and um, the Army Corps of Engineers was called. And they actually, to give them credit, they played along with the prank and they posted a picture of the canal being drained. And and then a guy called me from the canal with the cell phone. He goes it's not drained, I said, you just wait, it's going to happen, it's going to happen. But yeah, over the years I've done, um, my favorite one was, one year I talked about um, a Range Rover that got stuck out in in the sand along the beach in Wellfleet, and um, it got stuck there like in the wintertime, and before they could tow it out in the spring, Puffins had nested in the glove box and in the backseat and the wheel well and stuff like that, so the Park Service couldn't couldn't move it, but then they wanted to move it, but it was still registered, and the owner said, no, 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 I'm registered, you got to leave it there. So every spring for the last 20 years, a guy has to hike out and put a fresh... Uh, registration sticker on the thing to leave it there for the puffins.
2: Well, do you, do you play these tricks just in your column or to the actual customers themselves?
0: No, I love the column and the people calling and right. but my, the funny part about the puffin was two or three years later, I had forgotten about it and a guy came from a newspaper and wanted to do a story and get pictures of the puffins in the old range room. <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> oh, yeah, you'll see them out there. Just walk out there. You'll see them.
2: All right, but it's safe to go into the store, though, right? But
0: it's, that's totally fair. Oh, yeah, no, you're totally safe when you come in there.
2: Talk to you next week, Mike. Okay, Maybe thanks, Mike. Right. Yeah, bye-bye. Mike O'Connell are down there at the Birdwatchers General Store uh, Orleans Cape Cod
0: There's a part of our world that we pay little attention to an ant drags a seed five times its own size and a bee sips from a drop of dew and down here toxic chemicals and carcinogens are leaching into our environment they come from objects that we look past every day littered cigarette butts every one is a tiny toxic waste site Let's stop the toxic litter. Learn more at org.
2: Back here at the Mystery Bird Contest. We're hearing the sound of our mystery bird. A small songbird with a blue-gray head and wings, a yellow chest with a black and reddish band across it, white crescents above and below. The eyes, a greenish back, and two white wing bars. Tell us what it is, or take your guess at 781-837-4900. 781-837-4900. We have a beautiful batch of prizes if you can uh, identify the bird or just take a guess and uh, be the winner in a drawing if no one gets the correct answer 781-837-4900 and tim is calling us from jackson wyoming oh well, the phone lines are down in jackson oh well uh tim uh, give us a call back if you can really quickly and uh, we'll We'll get you through. We'll do the the clues here again. Just real quick. Our mystery bird, a small songbird with a blue-gray head and wings. Yellow chest with a black and reddish band across it. White crescents above and below the eyes. A greenish back and two white wing bars. Our bird winters in Central America and the Caribbean. And in its nesting territory, mostly in the eastern half of North America, it feeds high up in trees on spiders and insects of all sorts. Uh, do we have Tim? We have Tim back from Jackson, Wyoming. Good morning, Tim. Good morning. Good morning. Sorry if we cut you off there, but uh, we're glad you got uh, back through again. I think this is the first call we've gotten from Wyoming, so a special welcome to you.
0: Well, thank you. How you? Nice find? and snowy here this morning.
2: Snow is coming down now? Yep. <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, uh, if it's any consolation, we're expecting a little snow here in Massachusetts uh, tomorrow.
0: Well, we, there's plenty to go around here. So
2: <laughs> if you want any more, we'll send some to you. We appreciate that very much, but I think we'll we'll pass on that offer. Thank you, Tim. <laughs> what do you think about our mystery bird, Tim?
0: Uh, Northern Perula.
2: That is absolutely correct. So interesting. You call it Perula. Some say parula. Is that kind of the local pronunciation? Would you say or Do you know everybody you know calls it Perula.
0: I I don't know. I've always called it that since a kid, so I don't know.
2: <laughs> what do you do for uh, what kind of birds do we see in Wyoming that people would not see here in Massachusetts?
0: Oh well, we have uh, Bohemian waxwings uh, in the neighborhood. That's one you don't see a whole lot of, and uh, uh, magpies, black billed magpies. Oh, yeah, so we
2: haven't, seen, yeah. we haven't seen those around here lately. Tim, thank you so much. Congratulations. Uh, stay on the line. We'll get your address and send you those, uh, those beautiful prizes. Okay. Thank you. Thank you, Tim. Tim, out there in Jackson, Wyoming, correctly identifying the northern perula or northern perula. Uh, take your pick. We are just about out of time for our show today. Next week, the author of the famous A Neotropical Companion, John Kreicher will be here to tell us about his recent Birdwatching Magazine article on why birds decide to leave the tropics and fly thousands of miles in perilous spring journeys to North America. Why do they do it? John may have some answers for us on next week's show. Thanks to Mark Duffield, Debbie Bleacher, and our engineer, Jesse Wilkins. I'm Ray Brown. Happy Easter. Happy April Fool's Day. We'll see you next week.
3: I
0: like that. that. Ray Brown's Talking Birds.
1: Made possible by the generous support of the Bird Watchers General Store. Or Cape Cod. Birdwatchersgeneralstore.com By L.L. Bean. Inspiring you to get outdoors. LLbean.com By Celestron. Offering binoculars and scopes for birders of all levels. And by Birds and Beans Shade Grown Bird Friendly Coffee birdsandbeans.com